It is Tuesday, May 25th. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend, Dan Nathan, coming to you, by the way, from Parts Unknown. You'll see that in a second. For this week's macro setup, brought to you by our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. By the way, Dan, we're going to be joined by Peter Hanks, one of the top strategists at Daily FX in a little while. But there is a lot to talk about today, Dan. You know, I love macro setup. I mean, listen, we get to do every other week, right? We get Nadex, we get IG. When we do IG, we bring in one of those daily FX guys. We hit some of the stuff that's really moving around the most. When you think about currencies, commodities, rates, that sort of stuff. So we're going to hit all that. We're going to hit the charts um, later here. Um, but like to me, you know, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, they're kind of lulling us all to sleep here. But there's a lot going on in macro land here. Guy, we got a headline today. I love this headline. This is going to be one that just gets you all geeked. Up. It was out of mm-hmm. Bloomberg. Um, we have a slide here. Morgan Stanley CEO sees Fed hiking before his economist predicts the Fed hikes. What do you make of that? Why would a bank CEO get in front of his economist? Uh, you know, it's fascinating. I have no idea. What, there's clearly a reason why he did it. I mean, he, Mr. Gorman's not a dumb man. So he did this for a reason. I'm not certain, though, what he has, what he stands to gain personally, or what the bank stands to gain from putting something like that out. With that said, I happen to agree with it, right? I I happen to think the Fed's going to hike before many people think. And, you know, look, things are running hot. Regardless of what you hear from our Fed officials, things are extraordinarily hot. I think they've painted themselves in a really difficult corner. And, you know, maybe Mr. Gorman's putting something out thinking this way, the same way I'm thinking. By the way, and we're going to talk about this in a minute as well, this dovetails to a lot of the comments we've heard over the last couple of weeks from a lot of different people, Dan. Yeah, but I mean, listen, is he talking his own book, Guy? If you think about, look at the outperformance we've seen in bank stocks this year. It has really coincided with, you know, obviously a lot of great news as far as uh, vaccines and that sort of thing and the quicker reopening of the U.S. economy. But they've also benefited um, from rates going higher, right? And we know that they were unusually depressed by the zero interest rate policy and by the continuance of the quantitative easing, by the buying of a lot of these bonds. So, you know, Gorman, I think, is kind of talking his book here. He's, He's trying to do what the Fed does trying to draw bone rates higher as the Fed this week. And we know that there's a lot of Fed speak this week. They're trying to draw bone um, rates lower. I mean, at the end of the day, you tell me, and I know a lot of people like to give the Fed, including you, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, trouble here. You know what I mean? And, and they look back on, on a lot of calls that they missed. And, and why would the Fed be right this time, right? Subprime was contained last time. Well, let me tell you who also wasn't correct in the financial crisis. A lot of the bank CEOs, you know what I mean? So I don't know why you'd give those guys guys any more credit than you'd give the Fed officials, who I seem to think probably have just as much data as any bank CEO. Well, I mean, just they have more bullets is what they have. They have more They have more uh, of an arsenal at their disposal is literally it's yeah. really what they have. And it's fascinating. You know, Gorman thinks taper this year. Morgan Stanley economists see taper next April. He sees rate hikes this year or excuse me, in 2022. Yeah. And his economists see it somewhere in 2023. So he's getting ahead of this for sure. And the answer is, why should we think he's right? I'm not suggesting he is. I just find it fascinating that he comes out and says this at yep. this time. I mean, we are absolutely at a crossroads for a number of different things, not least of which the U.S. dollar and slided Earl, because there's a fascinating <laughs> article here out of the FT, Dan Nathan. Yeah, so the demise of the dollar. Listen, you've been calling for the demise of the dollar. So the FT, you know, you scoop the FT here, guys. So we're going to give you that much. I mean, at least you've been saying it on the macro setup for months and months now here. You've been a seller of every rally. Um, we've seen a precipitous decline from the March 2020 highs here. We're going to hit the charts um, in a little bit here. Um, but listen, here's the one thing I will just tell you is that this seems to be a bit of a consensus 
call right now, guy. And, and you know me, I, I seem to be a little bit contrarian. It doesn't matter which way, up or down or this, that, whatever. It just seems to be everyone's in this camp. I can't really find a dollar bull right now. Can you? No, you can't. But it's, it's, it's interesting now that you say everybody's on this side of the boat again. You're right. And the last time you said this, you were 100% right, thinking, you know what? It was an overcrowded trade being short the U.S. dollar. You absolutely thought there'd be a rally. And you saw that rally. You saw a rally from basically 89.5 in the DXY, close to 95, and you had that one nailed. The difference this time is we're on now the third wave lower over the last couple of years. And this time, I don't think things are going to hold. So although it probably is an extraordinarily crowded trade, doesn't mean that that camp can't be right. And I think that's what we're going to see. And we're going to obviously talk to Peter later about it. By the way, I think it's worth pointing out that Carter Braxton Worth, who I think has joined us on the macro setup, he actually came out and he rarely talks about the dollar, but he is a huge seller of the dollar here. He just put out a piece within the last week, and I think he's spot on. So you're right to point out that everybody's on this side of the boat. But you know what, Dan? This time they all might be right. Yeah, I guess what, what I would say is for it really to break, and we'll talk about the levels in a little bit, I think there's going to be some kind of piece of fundamental news that's going to have to make that happen here because if it's just trading on technicals, we're looking at the same lines of support that everyone else is. We can look at them on a one-year basis. You can look at them on a five-year or 10-year basis, that sort of thing. So we'll, we'll hit those in a little bit. But you know, I, I think it's really interesting because it seems to be in a consensus about the U.S. dollar, but really where the most volatility across major asset class over the last couple of weeks has been has been in crypto. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting that Bloomberg has a, a story this morning or it's been um, reported that Ray Dalio, he's the founder and CEO of the largest hedge fund in the world, Bridgewater, you know, he's talking about Bitcoin. I think this was recorded a couple of weeks ago for like a Coindesk conference where he said mm -hmm. he has some Bitcoin. He has them, but he prefers them to bonds. We're not going to get into that. That's probably a bit wonky uh, to, to kind of do the, the Bitcoin U.S. Treasury cross here. But Guy, here's another one where it seems like it's really hard to find naysayers about Bitcoin, but we did see them in the last week or so because we saw from the highs a couple of weeks ago uh, a more than 50% peak to trough decline in Bitcoin. It's kind of stabilized over the last 24, 48 hours here. But would you agree that it seemed that there was really just overzealous bullishness in the lead up to this decline in the last uh, week well, or two? It, you know, it coincided, you know, well, whether coincidental or not, it coincided with um, Elon, Musk, Elon Musk's appearance on Saturday yeah. Night Live. And oh, by the way, the Coinbase uh, listing, right? So I think those two things sort of lined up. And we actually had Brian Kelly on as well. And he talked about there being maybe a short-term top. I don't yeah. think he forced, I don't think he thought that you'd see a sell-off of the magnitude that we have, but here we are now. Um, a lot of people think we're basically at a level where we're going to hold. I know Mike Novogratz has come out and said the range is going to be between 40000 and 50000 for the foreseeable future in Bitcoin. He's obviously a little shy of that now. But, you know, it's interesting now a lot of people are coming out saying, in retrospect, yeah. maybe things were too frothy. But you know what? The froth you're seeing in crypto, I mean, the same froth is out there. The same leverage, in my opinion, is out there in the equity markets. It just hasn't manifested itself in the same way yet, Dan. Yeah. So let's 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 hit some charts here, Guy. I mean, when you think about that first headline about tapering um, bond purchases, we, it reminds you and I of 2013 and, and when the, the Fed started floating the trial balloon about tapering bond purchases then. We saw some equity market volatility. But even back then, they were calling it the taper tantrum, right? Because mm -hmm. really, at the time, the Fed had been speaking for years about leaving rates you know, at zero and 
and continuing QE. And so, you know, at the time the markets were at the highs and you know, maybe we sold off five, six, seven percent, that sort of thing. So the question I have for you is looking at this S&P chart, you know what we call this this chart. This is the hungry alligator uh, chart here, um, Guy Adami. The S&P, the one year, it's held that uptrend from the September lows there. We look at that March low where it broke briefly there. It lines up really well with that 200-day moving average. But that is a very constructive chart. It's up 13% on the year. Um, you know, all things seem to be lining up for a breakout. Am I wrong here, Guy? No, or, you're, not, you're not wrong. So tell me, what's going on? No, I mean, you're not wrong at all. I mean, I, the hung, this hungry alligator thing, I'm it, not it, really it, sure, although I do see it. I mean, you know, yeah. the mouth appears to be yeah. the horizontal line and the yeah. uptrend line and the hungry alligator. It's leaping out of the water to catch like a quail yeah. or something. It's very quaint. I get it. But I, I don't necessarily think that means this thing is going off to the races. You know, it has held the uptrend line that you drew and you drew it beautifully. I still think we're going to trade down to the 200 day moving average, which comes in around 3750 or so. And that lines up exactly with the horizontal line that you drew. So Look, yeah. we've held the line. It looks great. Right. I wonder what's going to derail it. I'll tell you what's going to derail it. That's what I want to know. See further, well, if you see further weakness in crypto, number one, yeah. if you see further weakness in the U.S. dollar, number two, and oh, by the way, although bond yields have been um, under control, I think if you see that next leg higher in bond yields, that's the third leg to this thing that's going to fall out there, Nathan. Well, all right. So let's go to the NDX, the NASDAQ 100, because I think this is really interesting. The underperformance in the NDX relative to the S&P 500, it's up 6% um, on the year. It's kind of caught a bounce. Also a really nice uptrend that's actually held that one-year uptrend better than the S&P 500, which has definitely pierced it on a couple of occasions on a one-year basis. But you see that sort of double top here. We're getting back towards that here. Um, listen, here's the thing. You just talked about rising rates. That's one of the reasons for this S&P um, outperformance of the NASDAQ, because some of these growth stocks look less attractive, I guess, in, in, a, in a higher um, rate environment. What is your take here? Because we, we've talked about it a lot on the macro setup guy. I can't remember too many instances over the last 10 or 15 years where the S&P 500 has outperformed the NASDAQ or the NASDAQ 100 um, to the level it is in 2021. So the question now is what gives, right? Are we, yeah. we going to get back to are we going to get back to the norm? The norm being the Nasdaq outperforming, or are we in some new paradigm based on higher rates? I think you know where I come down. I think we are in some new paradigm based on higher rates. And look, I think what you're seeing here, the bounce in the NDX off that trend line, is the those stocks getting acclimatized or getting used to ten year yields being around one point six percent, right? So. They've now figured it out. And at 1.6, they can continue to move higher, theoretically. Yeah. But again, if you're in the camp that I'm in, that we're going to see a next leg higher in rates, well, that acclimatization is going to take a lot longer, and there's going to be some pain associated with that. So higher rates, lower NDX, that's my call. Just, just, just to, to be on the record here, acclimatization twice in 30 seconds, I think, is, is a little too much. To I, I, I just, you know, I mean, Amanda Diaz, our producer, may be weighing in on that uh, later after the call here. Guy, just want to be very clear. I I'm gonna, she did to me that. Here's another take, though, on the NASDAQ underperformance. You know, the crypto universe is about $2 trillion. That is about the market cap of Apple. And when you think about how much money just this year, even after that crash that has actually probably gone from maybe high growth NASDAQ stocks, which have really been underperforming in 2021. Maybe they've found their way into the crypto world. And maybe that's one of the reasons for this underperformance. Maybe there is literally the equivalent of an Apple stock out there that happens to be 
off chain, if you will, my main man. No, and I see what you, I just want the folks to understand that last <laughs> week you said a bait literally twice in about yeah. a 13 yeah. second span. Yeah. And I called you on it. And although I used two different words, a climatization and acclimatize, you chose to do the same. I admire that, Dan. Well done. <laughs> I know you've been waiting for that opportunity and you seized it. The next chart, though, is the most, well, I think it happens to be the most interesting one out of that group because I've been of the belief for quite some time that the Russell leads the broader market anywhere from a month and a half to two months. And you can go back over time and look at that. So the question is, what's going on here? You've obviously seen a sideways performance in a Russell pretty much the entire year. What's going to give here? Well, I would submit that if rates are moving higher, you're going to hit a point of diminishing marginal returns where the Russell stocks, the small cap stocks are not going to like it so much. And you're going to see us break that trend line and trade down to that 200-day moving average. What say you, Dan Nathan? Yeah, so what, what I think is really interesting about the Russell is you look at that outperformance since, let's call it the election, since the vaccine news in early November, which is around the same sort of thing. I mean, you know, investors like literally like just came out of growth, right? With had all those recurring revenues, the sort of pandemic winners, the ones that were positioned well to do well in a quarantine or lockdown economy. And they went into more cyclicals and they went into value, right? And they were starting to think about who's going to benefit from the reopening and then just really a global economy that's taking off. So I do think it's interesting that we've had this sideways action in the Russell guy. And I think it has something to do with rates a little bit. It may also have something to do with the fact that while the US has done better, the next leg of this cyclical trade might come overseas, if you think about it, because we're coming out of this a bit earlier than Europe and then parts of Asia and India is still in the middle of it. Um, you know, so I, I would just say this also is that you know, I read a really interesting piece last week by Gavin Baker. He's the CIO of Air, Air Treaties uh, Management. It's a hedge fund. And he was talking about maybe you're going to see a rotation back into secular growth out of some of the cyclicals that benefited from all these sorts of things we're talking about. He's like, you know, the investors wanted exposure to GDP growth. Well, we got that in Q1 and we're getting that in Q2. And you know what we're going to have in Q3 and Q4, guys? We're going to have decelerating GDP growth. And that's maybe where where you want to get back to these tech names or these secular growth names that have recurring revenues, right? These streams that are easily um, easier to monitor, uh, I guess, model and then put a higher valuation on. So that might be a trade that we're seeing maybe back into secular growth out of cyclicals. Um, let's go. We've been talking a lot about yields, guy, and you've had a great call on yields from the lows in August of 2020 when the 10 year US Treasury yield was about 50 bips. You said by year end it's going to be at 1%. And you've been saying, all year that you think it's going to be at 2% by year end. Well, here we are. We've held that 1.5% level. That was a key breakdown level, February, March 2020 here. Um, it's really basing. Is it is it useful to chart this, you know what I mean, to kind of get a sense of where we're going next? We have a couple other charts to think about, but what do you think of this base here? Do you think that's a bullish base or is it a bearish base? Yeah, well, bullish in the terms, when you say bullish, I want to be clear, bullish in the, in, in the format that rates are going to continue to go higher. So if you look at yeah. this, this to me is a bullish chart, meaning rates higher and the underlying assets lower. For example, if it's TLT, TLT trades lower. I think the next chart, though, if you want to do another slide at Earl, I think this does a much better job of sort of illustrating exactly that. You know, you go back to 2012, that one and a half percent was support again in 2016 or so support, right? Again, a couple of years ago, support. And I think what you're seeing is in the fact that we traded through it, tested 177, 
uh, we're once again finding that support level around one and a half. I think we bounce off this in a meaningful way. And I'll stay to my, you know, I'll stick to my guns and say we're going to see 2%. By the way, I thought we'd see it by Memorial Day. That's clearly probably not going to happen now. But I still think 2% is in the crosshairs uh, at some point this summer, Dan. Yeah. And just looking real quickly at the 20 year chart of the US, uh, 10 year US Treasury yield here, you know, you see that downtrend. Um, and, and listen, you know, 2%, that looks like resistance going back to that kind of 2000. Um, and eight low or so that you saw um, during the financial crisis, you know, that line is okay. You know, it's really between, again, between one and a half and two. And then if you were going to kind of hit that long-term downtrend, that probably gets you somewhere at 275 or something like that. I mean, to me, I just don't see it going there. We just have to have a rip-roaring economy. And I just want to make this one last point. Okay, before we get to the dollar, look at the data that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, right? The April jobs report was disappointing. We've seen some disappointing housing data. We saw disappointing consumer confidence data. We know that there's a lot of extended unemployment um, you know, benefits that are going to be rolling off this year. So to me, I think a lot of investors um, are going to start pricing in what decelerating growth or decelerating metrics looks like in almost everything that they look at um, in the back half of the year. So um, you tell me, what does that... that no, yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to set you up. What what would you call all what we're saying? You know, you coined MAGA. You also coined something over the last couple of weeks that oh, everybody's yeah. going to be talking about soon. You just want to share it once again with our macro setup. Right, right. So the Fed has been saying that they see these inflationary pressures as transitory. Everyone loves to hate on the Fed and tell them how wrong they've always been. I suspect that we are going to be uh, look back on 2021 and we're going to call it the transitory tantrum, just like we called 2013 the tater, taper tantrum. We really haven't had a lot of equity volatilities that relates to fears about inflation. And I think a lot of the worries that this is going to be structural inflation going forward, you have aptly said, there is inflation all over the place. There has been. Just look at healthcare costs, look at education, and there's other things. So maybe the Fed is not reading it properly. But here's what I've been reading. In the lead up to the pandemic that we didn't know was going to happen, Guy, all we were talking about was deflation. All we were talking about is the robots taking all the jobs. All we were talking about is debating whether we should be thinking about universal basic income because, you know, and then the, the deflationary force forces of big tech. So I suspect we're going to go back to those places, wage inflation will be transitory, meaning like we had a big spike in it where we got to this 15% rate, but then it's just going to become a thing, right? And I suspect though, that we see a lot of the input costs to a lot of businesses or services, that sort of thing um, are going to be basically come back in line on the other side of this pandemic. All fair. And I'll say this, and I know you know this, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but over the last, I would say three weeks, you've seen at least four major companies. And when I say major, I mean major U.S. companies talk about raising their minimum wage. So politicians can argue and debate all they want about where minimum wage should be. Well, guess what? The market is doing it for them. And I've said for a while, that's the missing link. That's the last piece of this inflation puzzle. And oh, by the way, quickly, something happened to me over the weekend that has never happened to me before ever in my life. I won't make you guess, but I will tell you, I went to a gas station in Washington, D.C., and for the first time ever, the meter read $100, and then it stopped because it wouldn't go higher than that. I've never went to a gas station and paid $100 to fill up my tank. Well, guess what, Dan? It happened this weekend in D.C. Now, maybe that is transitory. We'll see. But I would say, you know what? 
The bloom is off the rose, oh, baby. I, I mean, I know, I know you're stuck in the late 70s here, but like the, in my lifetime, there's been nothing more transitory than spikes in gasoline prices. Okay. Let's, let's just be frank about that. All right. Hey, let's do this because we're, we're, we, you and I went late. Let's bring in the great Peter Hanks from, da- from the bring Daily it, FX. We have, we, because this is actually perfect timing as we think about talking about the Dixie, the US dollar index. Peter. Thank you for joining us on the Macro Setup brought to you by yeah. IG. Thanks How for having you? me. It's been a while, but uh, happy to be back and ready to talk some charts. All right, cool, man. Well, listen, you heard us a little bit on the dollar. You know which direction Guy Adami has been. And I think when you've been on with us um, over the last few months, you've been a seller of rallies too here. Let's look at the Dixie here. Um, here's a one-year chart. You know, and you, I think we were all talking about this. In, in December, it just feel, felt like a really crowded trade. It kept on making lower lows um, on a daily basis. It was really hard to find a bull. Well, turn the page on the calendar here. Early January, we start rallying a little bit. Then there was a retest in late February, but then there was a meaningful rally. And then obviously it failed. What is this one year Dixie chart saying to you? We're getting back towards that January low here. Are we going to break at a time where sentiment seems to be one-sided? Yeah, I think although it is a crowded trade and we've been talking about how many dollar bears there are out there, we did get some minutes last week from the Fed that I think began to maybe wade into the taper uh, talk conversation, as yep. you guys were discussing. We got a quick bounce in the Dixie, but that was immediately faded the next day. And now we're even lower and we're testing the February lows this morning. So at this point in time, it just doesn't make sense for me to jump in and, and try and call the bottom here. I think we will probably approach that support that's very nearby. And if that gives way, you know, there's not too much uh, subsequent support on, on, for a while, really. And that could kind of open the door to some further losses still. So we did get, you know, a hint from the Fed, maybe, but the market isn't buying it. And I still think the dollar's headed lower for the time being. It's, a, it, it's interesting, Peter. I first, I mean, look, I clearly agree with you, right? I also think that rates are going higher. And can you reconcile both those? I'm not suggesting you agree with me on rates, by the way, but let's just play for a second that. You know, you're with me at clear that the dollar goes lower. Um, and let's just pretend that you're with me on rates going higher. Can those two things happen in tandem or does one have to give? I think one has to give. Uh, we've seen a pretty positive correlation between the Dixie and between the U.S. 10-year yield. That has broken down over the last few weeks and the dollar's falling lower while U.S. 10-year yields are just kind of, you know, meandering about in the ranges that you guys previously highlighted. So I would kind of chalk it up to seasonality where we are getting, you know, lower volume, lower volatility, moving into the summer doldrums, if you will. And we don't really have those same catalysts to spark these massive breakouts. So I think the dollar and the U.S. 10-year yield really have to track uh, in the same direction. And that is very difficult to reconcile because like you, uh, I hate to agree with you on everything, but you are a wise guy. So I wow. do think the U.S. 10-year yield is going higher as well. But the range that it's in right now, there might be a little bit of play for the dollar to bleed a little bit lower. Um, but to answer your question, yeah. I, think, I think the two have to trade pretty closely. All right. Well, Peter, you know, little known fact, guy had a choice back in the 80s. He could have gone 
and been a wise guy, or he could have been the baller Wall Street guy that he ended up being. Um, and you know what? The, you know the rest is history. Let's go to this. Let's go to this ten-year chart of the Dixie, though, because this is really interesting. And just so you know, you said you hate to agree with Guy. Well, Guy actually seems to think that rates are going to go higher and the dollar is going to go lower, which he calls a witch's brew. He's been known to call it a witch's brew. And I just want to go back to look at this chart right here. Okay, so the two. 2010 high is right about this level that we were talking about back in 2018, which is support, which every trader looking at the US dollar is looking at the same thing. But what I think is really interesting in 2014, what happened? Why did the dollar start to rip? Because the Fed started to taper, because investors started pricing and strategists and economists the, the likelihood of coming off of the ZERP, the zero interest rate policy. So, and then that just launched a period of just a high a dollar for a few years. Guy, how do you reconcile that? Because if we really are, if James Gorman is correct, and we're going to we're start tapering QE and then get off ZERP, then shouldn't the dollar go higher? Yeah, it should in theory, but they might be too late, right? They might try to be closing the barn door after the horses get out of the stable. And that's what I think is happening. You know, they're going to try to stop, in my opinion, the, the, the fall of the dollar, and they're not going to be able to do it. So you could actually see a scenario where that's why I've been saying for a while, where rates continue to go higher, uh, sort of unabated, and the dollar continues to fall. I mean, that's just sort of my macro call, and I've been saying it for a while. I understand what you're saying. In theory, it should not work out that way. But I think what's going to happen, you know, the textbooks throw them out the window because yeah. I think they've overstayed their welcome so long that both of those things could potentially happen. You could see higher rates and lower dollars. So I'm going to stick by that. You make a great point. I think Peter does as well. But I think it's, you know, I, I hate to say it. I'm going to laugh at myself because I hate this expression. In this case, I think it's different this time. Right. So, so Peter, let me ask you this, because Guy and I were talking about this earlier. For the dollar, the Dixie, to go back to those 2018 lows, about 88, which was also that 2010 high, and then go meaningfully lower, what, what do you think is going to have to happen? Is it going to be a central bank policy error or, or just a continuation of what they're doing? Like, what is it going to be? Are they going to stay two dollars for too long and that's the thing that's going to break it? Yeah, I think I think the taper talk would have to stop completely. Yeah. So again, back to the minutes where they found that two Fed officials, you know, began to maybe think about talking about it. That would have to be put totally on pause. They'd have to reel that back in and you know push it down the line for some time later. And that's where you could see yields, I think, kind of hold where they are holding now, and the U.S. dollar kind of bumping into that support that. Uh, I mean, this is a great chart here, bumping into that support. And if that gives way, you know, look how much room there is until we start to find other levels. So for the time being, I think August, mid-August, maybe around Jackson Hole is a time when I would, you know, put the Fed on a clock and see how much, if any, if they're going to step up this taper talk. Yeah. And that is a key time period for the U.S. dollar and uh, I, I agree with that. I feel like as investors, we've been trained to just think of this Jackson Hole Summit, you know, um, the St. Louis Fed thing is, is, is an event. Um, all right. Let's let's go to this. We kind of um, hinted at it earlier. Um, this has been really an astonishing thing, whether you're a coiner or not. Everyone's looking at the Bitcoin here and the, you can be thinking about it for all these different fundamental reasons. A lot of people are thinking about it for pure speculative reasons in the volatility. Um, you know, Guy and I have been talking about it a lot. 
Um, you know, listen, that move earlier in the year seemed a bit unsustainable. We talked about it from a sentiment standpoint. Um, we had such a quick decline over the last few weeks, Peter. Um, and that prior breakout level from February 42.5, I know it's a level that you flagged in your chart. Here's my chart here. We found support at the lows, um, you know, from January, February-ish, if you think about it. So here we are up 30% of the year. We're kind of stuck in this range. Um, we're kind of content ending with that 200-day moving average. What do you make of this from a technical standpoint, the Bitcoin chart? Yeah, so from a tech, technical standpoint, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, resistance going to be that 425, 4300 area. Uh, we, you know, just blasted through that on the way down. It's kind of been that, what's the saying, elevator or escalator up, elevator yeah. down. That's exactly what happened here. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency volatility is a two-edged sword. We were just enjoying, you know, the upside for a long time. Selling picked up and here we are bouncing off the $30,000 level, which I think is very, very key support. If that breaks, you know, I think it gets ugly again. We are underneath the 200 day moving average here. So yeah. technically speaking, you know, the bull in me wants to say we'll just maintain this range here between 43 and 30. But uh, I could see us even falling a little bit lower uh, if Elon Musk and my Michael Saylor aren't out there to make... Uh, bullish statements or found, you know, Bitcoin mining councils and things of that nature. The sun also sets, in other words. And one of the things that and you brought some of your own charts, which I totally dig. But gold is a chart that you brought. And here's one, by the way, on the gold front that's starting to take the stairs up once again. So can we scroll it to a gold chart and take a look at this? Because I think, Peter, you're spot on. I mean, this thing is, to me, getting ready to test the levels we saw last summer. Yeah, so every time I've been on the macro setup, we've been talking about how, you know, underwhelming gold is. It can't get out of its own way. Well, something changed here. We got a little bit of a double bottom if you're into patterns. And since then, as yields have kind of held firm and the dollar has weakened, gold has been on the stairway up. And now we are breaking out of that August downtrend. I think, technically speaking, that is a very encouraging sign. Price, you know, punched through and we even got a little bit of follow through which is very, very encouraging going forward. Fundamentally speaking, that really goes back to the conversation we had around Fed tapering and what the dollar does and what yields do, yeah. because if yields you know, break out and continue to rise, then I think we'll come back here on gold, maybe look for support around 1850, uh, some of those levels that are within the August downtrend. But as long as we remain above the upper bound of that descending channel, uh, I think things are looking pretty good here for gold. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. If you look at that high where that, that downtrend started back in August, that's really when Bitcoin started to take off. It's my belief that probably Bitcoin stabilizes. I think you've probably seen money move into gold as, as Bitcoin was rolling over over the last few weeks or so. I, I think this is going to be a failed breakout here. This is just my personal opinion. I know guys on the other side of that. Um, I just don't really see a great fundamental case, especially if we get by the other side of all this um, mining issues as it relates to Bitcoin and everything like that. I think people really see it as a store of value and a better store of value um, than gold. Um, so thank you for that, Peter. Hey, let's let's finish off here. We spent a lot of time talking about the US dollar, but you have a, a US dollar cross that you really like here um, that you want to speak to. And you have a great chart. Um, and, 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 and just give it to us, baby. What do you got? Yeah, so we're out here preaching, you know, continued dollar weakness. If we need the Dixie to go lower. We need the currency cross to go higher against the dollar. And I think there are a few options out there. The Euro was showing promising signs this morning. I also think the pound here is another encouraging chart, another 
uh, currency that could go higher and therefore push Dixie lower. So it looks as though we could be approaching a double top formation. Uh, if Again, if you are a pattern trader, you might have that flagged on your chart. I'm a little bit hesitant to suggest that you know we'll break beneath that uh, rising trend line from about this time last year. I think if anything, we'll continue to consolidate a little bit more and then ride that trend line higher still. Uh, I don't see the case out there to just fade this rally in uh, the sterling altogether. Um, and I think that matches up pretty nicely with the Dixie bearish thesis. So I like the pound here. Uh, if we do break above those recent highs, I think that kind of opens the door for some further gains. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so with you on this. So I'm glad you brought up this chart because this is the one that tells the story. It's sort of it illustrates nicely your, your bearish call on the dollar and how you play it on the flip side in terms of the cross. And I don't know what animal this is, and I don't know if this animal is satiated or hungry. I have no idea. But I look at this thing, and it looks like we're blowing through that recent high we saw. You know, it looks like a year or so ago. So thanks a lot for being with us. Once again, Peter Hanks, strategist, one of the top strategists at Daily FX. Dan, any parting words of wisdom? Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. There seems to be a level of complacency in equity land. It seems to be um, a, a panic in currency land, whether you're a traditional fiat currency like the dollar that 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 makes new lows or, or seemingly new lows um, every day. And then crypto really needs to find some sort of support. You know, we didn't talk about Ethereum. The outperformance of Ethereum is pretty dramatic, up 20, uh, 250% of the year, even after being down 40% over the last you know couple of weeks or so. So I think there's a shifting narrative away from the cryptocurrency and some of the more disruptive technological aspects across multiple different um, industries that the Ethereum network offers. So I think that's one that you're going to continue to see outperformance relative um, to Bitcoin there. And then rates. I mean, this is one that's going to play out. I think everybody is going to start thinking about this Jackson Hole, you know, Fed summit at the end of the summer um, as this really important point for rates is you know whether we're going to see volatility and equities related to the potential for a tapering um, and then maybe like uh, James Gorman said a, a sooner than expected rate hike yeah well you know where I stand Dan higher rates lower dollar higher gold <laughs> and all these listen all these indices that we talked about in terms of the NDX the S&P the RTY all going to trade down to that 200-day moving average I'm going to stand by it yeah wrong a lot we'll see what happens you're but not Dan, yeah. Well, go ahead, say it. Well, I'm just going to say, I'm going to have to acclimatize myself to that witch's brew that you just described there, guys. So, you know, give me another week. We'll check back on the macro setup next Tuesday. We will be back. And when we come back next Tuesday, it's going to be June, which is unbelievable. Anyway, thanks to Peter Hanks, Strategy at Daily FX. Thank you, Dan, Nathan. And again, thanks to our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. Dan, say what you got to say. Hey, listen, you know, we're taking it out here, buddy. We, we hit every macro sort of thing there is. We even hit a $100 tank of gas in Washington, D.C., guy. I mean, no stone was left unturned here, buddy. I'll see you next week. Thanks, All right, everyone. buddy. See ya.